Please have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 1. That will be the first page of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. A valuable supply of information is packed into this opening chapter of the New Testament. I want to call this to our attention. And then I'll have a question for us to consider that I'll bring up at the beginning of our study and again near the end. So this is Jesus' family tree, a genealogy with several purposes. One primary purpose was and is to demonstrate that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah documented in the Old Testament. This family tree has the very simple message, first of all, that Jesus is the one. He is the promised Messiah. The evidence given here is that his bloodline matches what the prophets wrote about the Messiah. Now, there's other useful information packed into this genealogical record. We're not going to read all of this, but I want you to know there's some good information packed into this. This genealogy, especially when you come to verse 17, is crucial information in establishing Bible chronology. It's very helpful in that regard. While exact objective math isn't always the idea in Bible chronology, in verse 17 there's something Bible chronologers rely on a lot when they come up with their chronologies. And it's sometimes referred to as 14, 14, and 14. 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile, 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah. You can see how that would be helpful. This genealogy also confirms that just because your parents were righteous, doesn't automatically make you righteous. You've got a number of men, you've got a number of sets of parents who were good and righteous people, but their offspring took a journey away from God. David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Manasseh, so on. So what might seem like at first rather dry information, names difficult to pronounce, when you read and study this in the overall context of everything that comes before it and after it, God's plan, it is valuable. And tonight, I want to do something else with this genealogy uh, that's not a part of what I have brought up already. Question. You may know the answer already, but we're going to navigate the question toward the answer. If you could be anyone in this list... Who would you be? Now, that may be considered to be a hypothetical, but I have a point to make that will come when I raise the question again near the end of our time. If you could be like anyone in this list, just look down through the list, who would it be? And I have some possibilities I want to bring to our attention, and that will all lead us to the final answer. Abraham. Let's talk about Abraham for a minute, and I'll go to Genesis 12. 
Did you know that according to Joshua chapter 24, Abraham was born into an idolatrous family? They served other gods, it says in the book of Joshua chapter 24. Now, we don't want that kind of life at all. But God called Abraham, and in Genesis you can trace the movement of Abraham from Haran over into Palestine. We don't envy that kind of travel, especially given the mode of transportation in ancient times. Abraham was recognized as one of some substance or wealth. Genesis tells us that all his substance he had gathered in Haran, and the implication in the context is that he had many servants. In fact, it says that. And along with that, there would be an assumption of great substance. That would be probably okay when you first run it through your mind. Abraham was recognized as a prince. He made alliances and uh, conducted and concluded treaties, according to Genesis chapter 14, and again in chapter 21 and 23. But it wasn't his travels, his wealth, or his many servants that made him prominent in the plan of God. What stands out in terms of his great privilege offered under the grace of God is when God spoke to him as written in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing." I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So anytime you talk about blessing from God, there's privilege there. Whatever may have happened to Abraham before this and after this, Whatever hardship or challenges he had in the exercise of his faith, he was chosen by God as the original patriarch through whom the Savior would come to bless all nations. Just that privilege. Hearing God speak to him and making those promises and the faith that was necessary to embrace those promises and be that part of God's plan. We might say we'd like to be in that position. In fact, in a sense, we can be. Did you know that in Romans chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul said we are to walk in the steps of our father Abraham when we exhibit the activity of faith that is illustrated by Abraham and that is part of justification by faith in Christ, according to Romans chapter 4, we walk in the steps of our spiritual father Abraham, the one who conveyed these great promises through God's plan and through his offspring. David 
Would you like to experience some of the good things enjoyed in David's life? Perhaps we have a moment, a moment when we think it sure would be great to whack Goliath. I don't know if it's still around, but several years ago there was a video game based on the Bible narrative, and the video, video game was called Whack the Giant, and it was about that story. Seems irreverent, but there may be moments when we drift into the thoughts that it would be good to whack that giant. But there's something more significant about David, and that is, similar to Abraham, his place in God's scheme of redemption. His place in this genealogy, and more specifically, his role in God's redemptive plan. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2. Do you remember when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, how much he said about David? In Acts chapter 2, verses 25 over through verse 34, David is there three or four times. Speaking of the resurrection of Christ, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then in verse 29, Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Well, then what is the point? The point is made down in verse 34, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Far more significant than killing the giant or other victories David as a warrior had, or his time as a shepherd, his place in the royal lineage. He not only wrote prophecies of the Messiah that the apostle Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost, he was a type of the king who was coming. David's throne foreshadowed the throne of Christ. And that's the point Peter makes on the day of Pentecost. So great privilege there to be like Abraham or to be like David in their closeness to God. Mary is in the genealogy. It is a great privilege for a mother to bear a child, God's human gift to parents. But with Mary, the child she carried to term was the one referred to as early as Genesis chapter 3, foreshadowed in God's plan that he spoke to Abraham, and again foreshadowed in God's plan concerning the throne of David and the throne of Jesus Christ. She bore that child. 
While it wasn't God's intent that anyone worship Mary, the privilege of her role in God's plan isn't lost on any of us. But here's my point. You can't really be like Abraham. His example of faith is good on many points, but he was imperfect, therefore not a qualified model, though his faith is impressive. It might be interesting to be like David, but he wasn't perfect. He was stalked by Saul. We wouldn't want that. And he looked forward to the cross, not back to the cross as we do. Mary was a righteous woman, but oh, the grief that she endured when her son was killed and she was a witness. So looking through the list of all these people in Jesus' family tree, there is only one we can faithfully imitate without any reservation. Jesus Christ. And He is the main one in the genealogy. This is His lineage. This is His family tree. And this is where the New Testament begins. Matthew begins by saying, Jesus is the one. Abraham, David, Solomon, Hezekiah? No. Jesus is the one. This is a resume. This is not original with me. I read this last week. This is a resume of God's redemptive history. And Jesus is the one who is the object of that history, the supreme figure in God's plan, and the only means of our redemption and entrance into heaven. And we can be like Him. We can be like Him. (coughs) The gospel calls upon us to believe in Him, confess that belief, give up sin and be baptized into Christ, and then follow in His steps. We are not baptized into Abraham, or David, or Mary. And look through this list in Matthew 1, and some of them we know very little about, And some of the people in the list were not good people. Matthew is documenting the lineage of Christ and he's leading us to say this is the one you can depend upon for salvation and this is the one you need to follow. Matthew's introduction, the Holy Spirit's introduction to the New Testament is that the gospel is first and foremost the truth about Jesus Christ and calls upon us to respond. He is always center stage, every page of the New Testament. Other characters will move on and off the stage in the narratives in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the epistles. Jesus is the subject. He is the person of the New Testament. And a gracious God says to us, your sins can be forgiven because of Him, and you can follow Him. Romans 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. 
So I want you to notice back in Matthew 1 where we started, <coughs> I want you to notice what follows Matthew's genealogical record. What follows Matthew's genealogical record, 18 to 24 in Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's where the genealogical record leads. That's where it leads, and that's where the New Testament starts. Now, let me shift gears here a moment. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning at about verse 17, you're going to hear about some of the characters mentioned earlier in our study. Hebrews 11, 17. By faith, Abraham... There he is again. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Next paragraph. By faith, Moses... Next paragraph, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. Now as you read all of this in Romans chapter 11, impressions form from your Bible history and those narratives. And the immediate conclusion you may come to is these were great people. These were all good examples. But where does Hebrews 11 lead us? To Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. A great cloud of witnesses overshadowed. A great cloud of witnesses overshadowed by the one, Matthew said, came according to the prophets. Let me circle back where I started. Jesus, family tree in Matthew chapter 1. Do you want to be like Abraham, David, Mary? In that long list of names, let's resolve that we will do our best to be like Jesus. And God says through the Word we can be like Jesus. If we will all commit to being more like Jesus, we will have a deeper peace of mind with which to navigate the storms of life until we can enter into that great place where He is. If we will be more like Jesus, this church will grow in spirit and in number. If we will be more like Jesus, our families and marriages will thrive and our children will adopt the faith that we hand to them from the Scripture. If we will be more like Jesus, our hope will be enriched, our zeal and joy more lively, we'll be better servants to one another, evangelism will occur, as the song says, more like Jesus would I be. Let's stand while we sing.